0: Welcome to Prescribed Listening from the University of Toledo Medical Center. Each week, UTMC providers sharing insight into their medical specialty. This week, Dr. Firas Petros. Uh, I am Dr. Firas Petros. Uh, I'm a urologist and uh, specialized in urologic oncology. Uh, I trained at uh, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center where I finished my urologic oncology fellowship and before uh, that I gained my uh, residency at Ohio State uh, Waxner Medical Center. Upper tract urothelial carcinoma, it's basically a cancer of the lining of the urothelium that lines the um, renal pelvis inside of the kidneys, the ureter, the tube that take the urine from the kidney to the bladder as well as Urothelial carcinoma of the bladder can happen in the bladder itself and in the urethra, the, the 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 urine channel where the urine passes to the outside, whether in a female or in a male. So, upper tract urothelial carcinoma, it's often a disease of elderly, usually the age uh, above 60s, 60s to 70s or 80s. Uh, more commonly seen in patients who are smokers uh, or they have other risk factors. Uh, a chronic irritation by uh, a stent placed for other reasons or history of prior pelvic radiation or repeated infection, stones, uh, or some patients if they take uh, lots of narcotic pain medication or Chinese herbal medication. So the treatment depends on the grade and the stage, um, the treatment of upper tract urothelial carcinoma. If so if a patient has a um, low-grade uh, Urothelial carcinoma and of a small volume can be treated endoscopically, preserving that kidney unit for the patient. Of course, patient has to be compliant with subsequent follow-up imaging, uh, uh, surveillance uretroscopies. Uh, otherwise if it's still low grade but voluminous tumor where it cannot be treated on, by endoscopic resection, then the standard of care will be radical nephrourytrectomy. Uh, that is for low grade. If it's high grade, uh, upper tract urothelial carcinoma also... We look at the stage. Often, staging of these cancers are difficult to do because of the nature. of ureteroscopic biopsies are small, so we combine imaging studies, uh, predictive nomograms to get the accurate staging. And uh, if we feel this is high grade and advanced stage, then patient often receive new adjuvant chemotherapy followed by radical nephroureterectomy. Uh, in certain circumstances, we can go- forego the new adjuvant chemotherapy and proceed away for to radical nephraerotrectomy and reassessment based on the final pathology for adjuvant chemotherapy so low-grade cancer uh based uh this is pathologic assessment based on how the tumor tumor cells looks under the microscope so if they have high uh, nuclear uh, nucleus-to-cytoplasm ratio, uh, irregularity of the um, uh, cytoplasm, and uh, dysmorphic nuclei, so often termed uh, high grade. But if they don't have these features, usually they are low grade. So the the, the grade also correlates with the aggressiveness of disease. Often patients confuse, you know, uh, they come to the clinic, They, uh, if we ask in the history uh, whether the patient himself or family member, or uh, he or she, they mentioned he has a kidney cancer. So kidney cancer divided into urothelial carcinoma, which is cancer of the lining, as we mentioned, of the renal pelvis, ureter, or there is the other type of kidney cancer. It's of the meat of the kidney itself, of the renal parenchyma. So that's what we call it, renal cell carcinoma. So that's completely different uh, type of cancer than the urothelial carcinoma. It, is, um, ar- it arises from, as I said, renal parenchyma. The most common histology is re- clear cell renal cell carcinoma, about s- 75%, and there is papillary, chromophobe, uh, unclassified. Uh, the treatment is completely different. So I mentioned for urothelial cell carcinoma, we need to do nephrouretrectomy, taking the kidney uh, unit with the entire ureter all the way down to the bladder. We we call it a bladder cuff excise, uh, piece or uh, excise the ureteral orifice with the surrounding tissue. But for renal cell carcinoma, if, a pa- if we cannot save the kidney, if a patient going to go for a nephrectomy, which is kidney removal, then only we remove the kidney and part of the ureter not necessarily to chase the ureter all the way down to the bladder. So that's completely uh, d- different surgery. Uh, and then that's one surgery. The other uh, procedures that we do, if it's a small renal mass, less than 3 centimeters, 2 centimeter, or even less, we can just do active surveillance. That's one option. The other option, if it's uh, 2, 3, or we have evidence it's enlarging mass, then we can do a partial nephrectomy. Or if a patient not uh, a candidate for surgical resection, Then uh, we'll do needle ablative strategies, treating the mass with either heat, we call radiofrequency ablation, or freeze it, we call it cryotherapy. In addition to radical nephrectomy that we, we do often when we cannot save the kidney. If a partial nephrectomy is not feasible due to the size of the tumor invading into the uh, kidney itself, there is no salvageable tissue left. If we're going to do the partial, then yes, the entire kidney need to come out. That is a radical nephrectomy. This is we, we, we do all these types of treatment when the disease has not metastasized. If the disease has already metastasized upon presentation, if a patient Comes with a metastatic disease, then we assess typically lab values. We assess performance status of the patient. Um, if a patient has excellent performance status and his there are certain lab parameters that we look for. For example, he is not anemic, he doesn't have high calcium. His other parameters such as uh, the platelet count, the LDH are not elevated. Then he still can with with uh, with metastatic disease, and if he has low Volume metastatic disease, he can still go to upfront. We call it cytoreductive nephrectomy, which means, you know, we are trying to reduce the tumor burden by taking that kidney out, despite he has, you know, let's say one or two spots in the bone or lungs. But if he has high volume uh, metastatic disease and he has poor performance or intermediate performance status, then he will go for systemic treatment. Nowadays, systemic treatment is not with chemotherapy, but immunotherapy and some other agents called tyrosine kinase inhibitors. Once he receives at least a three or four cycle, reduce the burden of his disease, and we reassess his his response to therapy with the staging scans, if he doesn't progress and he's doing fine, then he will come back for the cytoreductive nephrectomy. Uh, so smoking is a risk factor for uh, kidney cancer obesity is another risk factor there's something called hypermetabolic syndrome uh, where patients often we see it in obese men the, or women they have high blood pressure diabetes uh, in addition to smoking uh, some other risk factors such as genetics or hereditary when we see renal cell carcinoma in younger patients less than the age of 46 then we have to think of a hereditary factor but yes. Yeah, for cancer, there are, uh, and then most of the cases in kidney cancer are sporadic, meaning, you know, uh, it's b- just a bad luck. Some mutation happened and uh, not necessarily with a family history. So the genetic testing offer a new avenue for uh, multiple cancers and treatment of multiple cancers, especially nowadays. There is more uh, evolution of the treatment to target certain signals or molecular markers for different types of cancer. So let's take an example. So for prostate cancer, genetic testing is very important. Uh, it, uh, it, it has been previously uh, mentioned in the guidelines as But uh, the most recent update of these guidelines, uh, as uh, a year ago or even longer, now it says recommended. So who should get genetic testing? Who should not get it? So certainly if a patient diagnosed with aggressive type of prostate cancer, we call it uh, high grade uh, or high risk, you know, Gleason 8, 7, 9, regardless of their family history or the biopsy, showed certain features on histology. We call it cribriform histology then these patients should get genetic testing regardless of if they have family history or not. Then the other population in a prostate cancer, if a patient intermediate risk or they have low risk, then you look also on the pathology of the biopsy or you you look if they have family history. But any patients with high-grade disease, high-risk or very high-risk prostate cancer, genetic testing is recommended by the guidelines. And and why it is important, uh, again, I'm speaking now only for prostate cancer, it affect the treatment, so if this patient, for example, in the years to come, he would develop metastatic disease uh, and he has certain a mutation detected on his genetic testing, then there are certain agents now developed that can target that mutation and potentially cure, cure the patient or control his disease. The other important aspect about 50% of the genes so let's say if the patient tests positive there is 50% chance he can pass these genes to his to his children whether male or female and we know there are certain genes in men can cause prostate cancer, such as BRCA1 and BRCA2 Baraka genes and in female can cause breast cancer so regardless if the patient has only a biological daughter yes she can get a, a breast cancer because he had a prostate cancer himself. Um, in upper tract urothelial carcinoma, genetic testing also is important. So if uh, we see a young patient, you know, doesn't have this risk factor that I mentioned to get upper tract, and he, we diagnose him with upper tract, then yes, sh- this should raise a red flag. Why this happened? One of them is hereditary. So in upper tract urothelial carcinoma, there is Lynch syndrome, which is uh, a condition where a patient is predisposed to have colon cancer, endometrial cancer, pancreatic cancer, and melanoma. So, uh, and I did have such patient. I tested her. She tested positive for Lynch syndrome. So now she's going th- s- through screening process for all these other types of cancer. And same thing, uh, the, the patient uh, children now at risk of developing Lynch syndrome. And we have seen it. I have seen it in my training. Patient tested positive for Lynch. And then one of the daughters uh, also tested positive for Lynch. So, so it's, it's very important. Uh, in kidney cancer, as I mentioned, uh, yes, renal cell carcinoma, it's not a disease of young people, but we, if we see a patient, and I did have that patient too here at the University of Toledo, um, he, he was found incidentally to have a small renal mass upon a CAT scan done for a kidney stone. Went to the ER emergency room, was having some flank pain. He had a small stone that he passed. Then there was a small renal mass. We followed that mass. Mass was a growing potentially we did a partial nephrectomy we removed this mass came back renal cell carcinoma the age of the patient 40 he shouldn't get it, right? So I sent him for genetic testing. He turned positive uh, for uh, a syndrome called Bird Hug-Dubay syndrome. So now his, his children are at risk of developing renal cell carcinoma. So uh, they have to go for screening early so that they can be diagnosed early before metastasis because that's the importance of genetic testing. You, you screen early, you detect early, you prevent potentially metastasis and, and death. Uh, a germline testing, um, as I mentioned, in prostate cancer, uh, if you detect uh, one of these genes, the BRCA1 or BRCA2, so now there is a treatment called BARB inhibitors, uh, one of them approved by the FDA or Olaparib, uh, Lymparza, so can be used for patients with castrate-resistant prostate cancer. Let's say uh, a patient has progressed, he has metastatic disease uh, and progressed on hormone therapy progress on the traditional you know chemotherapy uh, plus the hormone therapy and his PSA is not responding and when we check his testosterone yes he is in a castrate state but DSA continues to go up, so in this patient's uh, population, if a genetic testing was not done, certainly it's an indication because uh, one of these such therapies uh, that's available now, approved by the FDA, is o- o- olaparib, which is a barb inhibitor. It targets these such as uh, uh, target these mutations, whether they are in the germ lines in the uh, they at patient has inherited or they are somatic in the tumor itself. So uh, yes, gene- germline testing is very important. So genetic testing can predict cancer risk stratification. Uh, again, at, uh, uh, at f- for the patient at earlier stages, uh, probably a uh, uh, it will not be used if he if we can use the information obtain it for the patient himself even if it's uh, if he has uh, if he is at earlier stage of his diagnosis but it will be more used in the patient himself when we will uh, he will develop metastasis the example of prostate cancer patients and i do have a patient like this uh, he uh, after surgery he has undetectable psa meaning he has no evidence of prostate cancer but on on a baseline level, on a germline level, he tested positive for BRCA2, BRCA gene. So yes, I will not be starting the patient on on a medication now because basically his PSA undetectable, he is in remission or no evidence of disease. Again, I cannot say I cured the patient because it hasn't been, you know, 20 years since his surgery has been only a year. But since he tested positive, he, he, he ha- his children now at risk, if he has male children, are at risk of developing prostate cancer. So it will be utilized to screen his sons to go for screening early with a PSA, follow with their primary care, and then any elevation, any rise in the PSA, then his children, yes, need to get uh, a potentially diagnosis to make sure they don't have prostate cancer and potentially treatment. So th- again, that is how genetic testing, if it doesn't, help the patient himself at that time point, but it will help his his children. The MRI ultrasound fusion biopsy, the studies came about in 2013. Uh, Basically, at that time point, uh, we were seeing more patients getting, uh, they have elevated PSA or suspicion they could have a prostate cancer, whether based on the PSA or or rectal exam. So they were going uh, to have the, uh, or they were having the standard biopsy, or we call it office biopsy, systematic biopsy just with ultrasound and then a portion of these uh, patients they were having uh, their cancer missed they can they will have a negative biopsy and then their psa continue to rise so that's when the mri enter the field by imaging the prostate, identifying the location of the lesion. Uh, And and some of these lesions are up in the uh, prostate. We call it anterior lesion or front lesion and will not be reached by the standard biopsy. And on ultrasound, Sometimes you can see the lesion, the area or the suspicious area, suspicious spot. Uh, Unless this area really is big in size, then you can see it with some degree of certainty, but it's not as sensitive to detect these lesions compared to the the MRI. So the MRI kind of revolutionized the field in terms of allowing us to fuse the image of the MRI that is obtained pre-hand with real-time ultrasound to create a 3D map of the prostate, if you will, kind of GPS signal to go and target these areas seen on the MRI. So it increased the accuracy, um, the detection rate, and uh, what we are really interested in detecting the high-risk cancer. So what... There are multiple uh, high quality studies, the level one evidence, we call them, randomized the trial, showing that uh, MRI ultrasound fusion biopsy is superior in detecting high risk lesions at the expense of detecting less low-risk disease because, again, once again, we are not interested in detecting low-grade cancer. Patients will not die from low-grade cancer, but certainly they will develop metastasis and potentially death from prostate cancer if they have high-grade disease that was missed. So, so, so yes, it revolutionized the field in terms of uh, better accuracy, higher sensitivity to detect high-risk disease, and low... Um, detection of low grade disease uh, so it's it, we we have been using it here uh, for the last um two years at uh, the University of Toledo. We'll, we'll counsel the patients regarding genetic testing um, uh, risk, benefit and the advantage. Uh, certainly cascade testing is on the horizon if he tests positive and then certainly uh, this is going to follow with a referral to a genetic counselor. So every patient I test and if he tests positive I will send for a genetic counselor. Uh, there is something called risk of genetic discrimination unless this information of his test Test. This this close to, for example, his employer or a different company, and then when when I apply to that job, but most of the time these patients are either Medicare patients, so that risk doesn't really apply to them. And then regarding the cost, uh, there, there are different uh, you know companies that offer genetic testing, but the company that I offer uh, that I work with, they have a fixed price. uh, It's $250 regardless of the insurance and most of the insurance Medicare cover the genetic testing Um, and then uh, what's also unique about this company, they offer a a test free for the uh, family members so children, sisters and brothers if they need to get tested usually they have a a grace period from the day they issue of the report I believe it's around 90 days Um, but it correlates highly with the pathologic finding or with the stage of the disease. When we see a patient uh, uh, who tests positive, uh, sometimes this can also point to um, hereditary factors, especially if we diagnose a patient with aggressive disease in his, uh, in his uh, uh, early ages, like at the age of 50, 55. Regarding research uh, uh, in in the field of genetic testing, for example, I looked at the patient that I had been tested uh, to see um, who followed with the genetic counselor, who did not, and what were the, you know, uh, preventing factors. uh, So I find... one One-third only of the patient who tested positive for germline testing, they did follow along, and uh, they met with the genetic counselor, and this is including all comers, uh, all uh, uh, cancers, not only prostate cancers, uh, and uh, I found more... Um, the percentage of positivity in prostate cancer around the twelve percent and the other geo, other non prostate cancers including kidney or carcinoma uh, was around uh, was a little bit higher uh, so yes, so we are trying to determine what factors you know led the patient not to follow. Is it anxiety is it a cost is it, is it inconvenience is it because of the pandemic? Um, so so these are one of the uh, research area that had been uh, working on uh, and also there are other um uh, research uh, avenues that I will be uh, I am working on one of them for example the uh, use of um, immunotherapy to um, selection of patients for certain type of immunotherapy and their outcome uh so uh, and in urothelial carcinoma uh, so these are some of the um research uh, that I've been working on. Thank you for listening to Prescribed Listening from the University of Toledo Medical Center. To learn more about the provider you heard on today's show, visit utmc.utoledo.edu. More Prescribed Listening next week from UTMC.